Welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Talk Surgery podcast for RCS Ed. I, as always, I'm your host, Gregory Carter, Cooler Expert Registrar from Edinburgh, and with me, good friend and co-host Ceci. How are you? I'm all right, Greg. Um, it's nice and sunny in West Lothian today where I am, so I'm pretty chuffed. Spring and summer is upon us, so that's good. With us today, we continue our leadership series focused around eminent leaders, both in the United Kingdom and, and across the world, just getting their reflections on the last 12 months, but also their leadership journey. Today, I'm pleased to say that we're joined by uh, a lady that I've got to know quite well over the last 18 months, Caroline Lamb, the Director General of Health and Social Care for the Scottish Government and Chief Executive of NHS Scotland. Caroline, how are you doing? I'm good. That's a that's a very long title, isn't it? It is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm well, thank you. It is a beautiful day out there, so it's great. Nice of you to join us today, Caroline. You are probably one of the busiest people in the Scottish Government at the moment, just given the pandemic and the crisis, so we'll keep this as brief as possible. As always, on this podcast, we get to know the individual behind the message, so we'll start with a very open question. We had Jason Leach on the on the podcast, and when I asked him this question, he gave me a five-minute answer. Let's see if you can beat that. Who is Caroline Lamb? I can't believe, first of all, that you've asked me to follow Jason Leach. That's really, that's really unfair. Sorry. Um, so who is Caroline Lamb? I was brought up, born and brought up in Yorkshire. For, for those of you who are students of history, you will know what I mean when I say that my, my father, David Lamb, was absolutely determined from the time he studied history that if he had a daughter, he was going to call her Caroline. And that was after Lady Caroline Lamb, who was... Uh, an interesting character, a lover of Lord Byron, and a bit of a racy personality in her time. Um, I'm not quite sure what that says about the ambitions that he had for me. I graduated in London. Um, I then trained as a chartered accountant and very quickly, I think, discovered that my interest really lay in working in public sector, not-for-profit organisations where I could sort of see an impact of what, what, what the organisation I was working for was trying to do. So my career has developed from there um, through housing, education, health. I've, I've worked in all those sectors um, now, obviously, in, in Scottish Government. And I still, I still have my roots in Yorkshire. So my family, uh, my parents are still fortunately uh, alive in, and living in Yorkshire. Um, I have lots of friends uh, in London as well, which is where I graduated. I'm missing them all at the moment because I haven't been able to see people for, 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 a, for a long time yeah. and keeping myself busy by um, working largely, but also trying to get out of it, especially as the days start to get longer. Thank you very much. Next bits we do to explore some of that a little bit further. These are quick fire questions that you haven't had sight of before, Caroline, so I apologize in advance. First things first, what is your biggest inspiration? I think my biggest inspiration is some of the people that I work with and the people who I see making a difference day in, day out to, to, to people's lives. And, and that's at, at all levels. So over the last 12, 15 months, I've worked with some incredible people across Scottish Government and indeed across all of our NHS boards, um, local government um, and third sector organisations. And, and I think the, the energy that I get from seeing people with a huge commitment to what they do, a huge understanding of the lived experience, I found really inspirational, particularly over the last period. You're here. Now, we're going to talk about your leadership journey from accountancy to where you are just now. But if I take you back to when you graduated from university, if accountancy was not a concept and you couldn't do that and, you know, you didn't have ambitions to be chief exec of NHS Scotland, what else would you do with yourself, Caroline? 
So when I was at university, I was, if I'm, if I'm going to be brutally honest, my, my trip on. into accountancy was really largely because um, the accountancy firms were recruiting and I had a really significant overdraft and I needed to have a job <laughs> so that I could start to pay that off. And when I started, so I, I, I started going to some interviews for accountancy firms, having never considered accountancy before. Um, but as I started going for those interviews, uh, I, re I started to think, well, actually, maybe having a sort of professional qualification wouldn't be a bad thing in terms of the, the doors that might open for me. And I, I trained with KPMG, and I'm going to embarrassingly admit that the reason I actually chose to go and train with KPMG was because they provided free lunches in those days. <laughs> Oh, so there's some interesting career choices. If I hadn't, accountancy was never a sort of burning desire, um, although I, I did enormously enjoy the training and it's, it's, it's given me a really good founding for the, for, for the uh, foundation for the career that I've had. Um, I really fancied being a vet when I was younger, oh. but I'm not great with the sight of blood. So eventually worked out that probably wasn't going to be, going to be a good option. Okay, so the next thing I tend to ask, but before that, you talked about free lunch at KPMG. Does that mean that the civil service within the director of health can start to expect free lunch whenever St. Andrew's House opens up again? <laughs> I don't yeah, think so. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and the other We do question... have a great canteen in St. Andrew's House, though, with absolutely lovely staff who have kept us, kept us going. I can attest to that, actually. What what sort of things do you do to relax? Now, those of us that follow you on Twitter, every now and then look forward to the sunny picture from Inverleith Park. What is it you do to relax? Yeah, so a, a lot, for me, a lot of what I do is just trying to get out because I spend so much time at the moment, as I'm sure we all do so much time sitting, staring at screens. So I, I, have a, I have a dog, I'm sure you'll have seen the pictures of him on Twitter as well. He's, get, he's getting a bit elderly now, but he's still pretty active. Uh, so, that, so that's great because that gets me, he gets me out and about walking. Um, I really enjoy just getting out of, of, into, whether it's the park, but green areas, walking along the water of Leith. And at this time of year, starting to notice daffodils, you know, spring is springing and, and that's, that's really lovely to see. Um, I've started just recently doing the Couch to 5K, oh. so I, I'm really proud of myself because I've got to, I've now completed run three of week three. I'm sure it's going to get much harder. Uh, so I am trying to just focus a little bit on my fitness levels too. And I've been catching up with friends on Zoom calls and house party and you know, people who, people who make me laugh and remind me that it's not all sort of nose to the grindstone. I, I genuinely cannot imagine where you find the time for Couch to 5K because you are single-handedly the busiest person I've ever met. I'm having to get up and run, so I'm genuinely running at about half six, quarter to seven in the morning. That's um, that, that explains that, it. Yeah, okay. get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> and a final quickfire question for me is: What is your favorite band? Oh, my favorite band. There are, there are actually lots, so I'm I'm, I know. A bit, I'm a bit of a punk girl, um, I so know. I love you know the Clash. But actually, currently, if I'm going to be, I think probably Nick Cave and the bands are the Bad Seeds. I have followed Nick Cave since um, the birthday party, and he's uh, yeah, 
I, I, I really love Nick Cave's music, The Clash, uh, Dandy Warhol's, Psychedelic Furs. Um, I, I'm just trying, I'm almost running through some of the bands that I've either seen lately or lately, well, you know, more than a year ago now, um, or I've had tickets for and they've been repeatedly pushed back. So that's another thing that I'm really looking forward to being able to get back to seeing live music again. Yeah, I was actually going to ask what one thing are you looking forward to the most uh, post lockdown, but that that would be that final question. I, I keep saying final question, but this is generally the final one. Glastonbury or Tinapur? Where are you likely to be found? Glastonbury, probably. Yeah, hey, I guess that. Well done. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to have another huge music fan on the podcast. Um, Greg's choices just don't count. That's a uh, usually Michael well, Bublé, we'll something, now, something right. smooth. <laughs> Michael Bublé is a good one yes. that we've discussed. Because secretly, we all know Greg is secretly an 80 year old man just sitting in his lounge chair, enjoying the Bublé. So it's Nothing nice to that. have another cool girl on the podcast. Well, it's been fascinating hearing about your life and um, your journey. I think it's just amazing how life can take you in different directions. But It'd be interesting to know a little bit more about your, you know, career journey from accountancy to chief executive of NHS Education for Scotland, because in my head, I don't know how you get from one to the other, but there must have been a few, um, you know, opportunities that presented themselves. And there's obviously a lot of overlap and skills that you had to use to get to where you are. So please enlighten us. Okay, yeah, so... Uh, as, as, I, as I said to Greg before, when, when, I, um, when I decided to train as a, as a chartered accountant, part of the, the rationale, apart from the free lunches, was that um, I did see that that would give me a, a, a sort of a, a professional qualification that would give me some insight into the way in which organisations work and be a transferable skill that would mean that I could move between organisations, between sectors, um, and find out you know, what it was that, that really interested me and, and inspired me. Um, after I qualified as a chartered accountant, so, so during my training, I worked with lots of different organisations from uh -huh. cement manufacturers to big city banks um, to quite small charitable organisations, uh, the International Committee of the Red Cross. I, I worked with them in, in Geneva for, for a wow. few months, which was just fabulous. Um, really, really interesting. Once I qualified, I got into working, first of all, for, for a, I worked for a short period of time, um, just doing audit and accountancy in a professional firm. And then I went to my first director of finance job in a quite a small housing association. And, and that gave me a first position, albeit quite a small organisation, but um, it gave me um, insight into actually sitting as a, a member of the executive team, around the board table um, and that real focus on the objectives of the organization so what we're trying to achieve and how do we make sure that we align the resources that we've got around achieving those objectives. I moved from housing to a bigger role in the university sector um, that was at the University of Abertay in Dundee and again you know just a huge commitment to widening access and making opportunities available for, for kids whose family backgrounds meant that they maybe really hadn't thought about higher education before yeah. and then I suppose from going from education to education in the health service so I, I, I originally went to NHS Education for Scotland as Director of Finance and Performance Management uh, and then I got an opportunity so I was, I was part of the executive team a member of the board there I then got an opportunity when Malcolm Wright was asked to go and be Interim Chief Executive in NHS Grampian 
uh, I got an opportunity to be interim chief executive at NERS, which I'd been a bit sort of hesitant about, but um, I, I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed that opportunity to have a broader influence across across the organisation. And so I think I think one of the things that you get as um, a director of finance is that you get that overview of a whole organisation. So you, you have to understand all of it if you're going to be good at understanding what the resources need to be to support each bit of what you're trying to do. So it does, I think, really help you to develop general management skills at the same time. And I suppose that's that's what stood me in good stead um, through my career, as well as having had support from amazing people along the way. And then, yeah, I came to Scottish Government originally in December 2019 as Director of Digital Reform for Health and Social Care. And then very soon, all the sort of plans around uh, what we were going to do during 2020 got um, overwhelmed by the, the pandemic. And I've done quite a lot of jobs with quite a lot of different hats on in my time at Scottish Government from um, obviously still having a focus on digital and I'm hugely proud of what we've what we've done and what we've achieved through digital innovation yeah. over the last 15 months but working really closely with Greg on the scale-up of ICU capacity in the in the first wave of the pandemic then moving into um, setting up our test and protect system uh, and latterly, and before moving into this role, um, I was uh, running the vaccination program, which has been has been great, and it's you know, it's fabulous to see how well that program's going, and that the sort of ray of hope that it offers to all of us. Yeah, of course. Um, what a fantastic journey, and um, I wish we had two, three hours in this podcast, and I feel so <laughs> jealous of Greg for getting to know you because there's so many points in your journey that I would love to explore more and just learn more about um it's if you ever write a book I'm going to buy it I promise <laughs> thanks for that but yeah let's have a chat sometime yeah um I was actually just going to chip in there Caroline because you know I think it's, it's been a fantastic journey that, that you've been on but clearly if I've got ambitions to become chief exec of NHS Scotland what I need to do is become Director of Finance and Chief Exec of NES, because Malcolm Wright has gone from NES to Chief Ex- to your position, and and you've done the same. So That's thanks true. for the tip. I'll I'll remember that. It's a, yeah, um, NES has got a bit of a reputation, I think, <laughs> of gener- generating um, DGs and Chief Executives, and and Malcolm himself is a huge inspiration to me and an enormous support of my my development along the way as well. I used to joke with Malcolm that. Um, when he'd say, ask you to do something that you're thinking, well, that sounds a bit tricky. And then he'd describe it as a development opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a common leadership strategy. I find Definitely most is. of the <laughs> awkward situations I've been in, the person who's proposing it is saying, oh, this will really help your CV and your skills and professional development. And then when you finish, Very you're like, so. most of the time, I'm glad I've done it. But sometimes I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> Anyway, um, so you've given us very a very nice overview of your journey from accountancy all the way through to the Scottish Government. And um, now, uh, as Greg alluded to, you have so many roles and so many things that you're doing. Is it possible to describe a day in your life <laughs> at all? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. I, I suppose one of the things that I would say is that no day is the same. And that's what one of the things that 
I really enjoy about this job. I mean, some sometimes um, it, it some sometimes it can be pretty tricky yeah. uh, because you never quite know what's going to come out of come out of left field. However, I guess at the moment um, we are still obviously very focused on the management of the pandemic. Um, yes. So we are very focused on understanding the data, where we are. Um, what that means in terms of our responses, so how the how the test and protect programs going, what 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 is our what are the next group that we need to roll out testing to? How we how do we best de- deploy the testing capacity that we've got um, to to manage and contain the pandemic in the best possible way? And at the same time, how do we manage the vaccination program? And uh, you know, you'll be aware from coverage in the media and elsewhere that we, we it's a very challenging logistical problem because Indeed. we've got to map um, vaccine supply, which is incredibly lumpy and bumpy. Uh, against having um, venues, having vaccinators and, and calling people forward for vaccination in a way that we're confident we'll have the vaccine and the venues and the vaccinators yeah. and just trying to trying to manage all of that. So so a lot of our time, we, we still have um, daily director's calls to just check in a lot of the time on where we are, what we're doing. Um, there are our normal sort of governance processes that, that we work through. There will be meetings with with ministers, uh, either to give updates or to be thinking and talking about and providing advice around where we should be going next with with strategy and policy. Uh, we're in. I am personally involved in engaging regularly with the NHS chief executives, with the chief officer group, um, with COSLA um, and Solis. Uh, so there's a lot, uh, and third sector organisations. There's a lot of. Um, talking to stakeholders, understanding um, where they are, understanding what some of the pressures in the system systems are, because at the same time we are starting and talking to boards have now all submitted their remobilisation plans. Yeah. So we're starting to look forward and not only think about how we manage the backlog that there is within our system. And that's not just sadly, not just the backlog that we know about and that we've got on people on lists, but also the backlog that we don't know about where people have maybe haven't presented over the course of the last 12, 15 months. Yeah. So we're, tra- we're trying to manage all of that. And at the same time, we're just starting to try and lift our heads a little bit and recognize that we had some significant issues around the um, sustainability of our health and social care system about the extent to which we were managing to tackle some of the deep-rooted health inequalities in our system mm-hmm. going into this pandemic and coming out of this pandemic we need to make sure that as we start to remobilize we're also thinking about redesigning renewing and what is a new vision for health and social care that absolutely learns from the experiences that we've all had that recognizes that those inequalities will have been exacerbated yeah. by the pandemic and so how do we talk, take take that forwards and at the same time so we're, we're in an interesting period politically because we're about to run into the pre-election and then the election yeah. period so so some of our focus there is about how we can be ready to provide good well thought through advice and options for a new administration and, and new ministers. And, and then I suppose finally, the, the other bit of my role around is, is around engagement with the broader Scottish government. So mm-hmm. colleagues across economy, across justice, across education. And I firmly believe that we need to work across government to tackle some of the issues that we face in health. We can only actually deal with probably about 20% of, of health and social care issues. The rest it has to be driven by a vibrant economy, by people having 
security in their housing, good quality housing, safe communities, greener communities. And so we can't do everything that we need to do in health and social care on our own. We absolutely need to engage with the, with the rest of government. And so I see one of my major roles as well as being as being starting to drive some of that engagement. And lots of it is already there as well, but being really clear about what are the things that we want to achieve out of that. Fantastic. Um, just two things. One, <laughs> I honestly don't know when you find time to sleep or eat. And two, every time you, you, you brought on a new role, I kept thinking to myself, oh, that must be it. And then there's another and then there's another. And I'm sure if you really sat down and thought about it, you could come up with 10 other plates that you're currently spinning. So absolutely hats off to you. And, you know, just to express gratitude, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners feel as well for the work that the government is doing to try and keep things safe and keep things running for us. And, and to you as well, Greg, because I know you're working in the government as well, doing what you can. And I, I suppose what I would say is that we have a great team and that is um, within the DG Health and Social Care, the, the directors that I work with have done an amazing job in terms of keeping all those plates spinning, building new bits of infrastructure at a pace that none of us would have believed possible pre-pandemic. And absolutely the same to all the people out in our health and social care system, everybody. I mean, I I am so proud of the way in which services have responded over the last year, 15 months. And I know it's been, I, I know it's been really, really tough for everybody. Um, and there's been a lot of sadness as well. We've lost a lot of people uh, and a lot of people have had their lives damaged by this pandemic. But actually, we just need to make sure we don't forget the huge achievements that we've made and the, 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 the new um, approaches, the new infrastructure that we've, we've delivered, which will stand us in good stead for the future as well. There's a lot of legacy there to be built on. Absolutely. And... I think a lot of colleagues in the front line listening to this episode will be heartened by some of your reflections there and your gratitude for those in the front line. And I think Ceci and I will echo will echo that. I, although I host a podcast, I was a guest on a podcast a while ago, and one of my reflections of my time in the leadership fellowship was, what is my biggest learning was the one thing I'd learned that most people wouldn't know about, and it's the resilience of the civil service. I think unless you've been in there, you wouldn't really see how that machine works in terms of taking a problem, finding solutions and and getting on with it. And, you know, I think they and other colleagues are are owed a debt of gratitude for the work they continue to do as well. The other thing is just listening to your vision for the future. I think, uh, again, having worked with you, I am in no doubt that the future of the Director of Health and Social Care in in Scottish Government and and we as clinicians are in good hands in in your leadership. So look forward to how you tackle some of the health inequalities moving forward. Yeah, and and, and this is a collective and a collaborative effort. Um, We need to make sure that people have got the the time um, to focus in the things that they need to focus on. And I suppose just to add, Greg, you know, I'm, I'm hugely conscious of how hard people have been working and at what what a pace over the the last 12-15 months and very very conscious that we need to be mindful of our staff and their resilience as as we start to remobilize services Um, so there's a there's a real balance to be achieved there because we do need to make sure that people can get a bit of downtime and are, are able to recover because everybody's been impacted by this. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to take you back to sort of your reflections around the resilience through the pandemic, phase one, phase two, plus minus phase three. Some aspects you have done a lot in the background in terms of 
portfolio that you've that you've worked uh, with. The intensive care expansion has got some press time, but the one thing that hasn't really is the digital transformation that we've had. So there are some statistics around digital consultations, the numbers that we had back in, say, October, November 2019 to compare it to now. And a lot of that, or pretty much all of that, has been under your leadership. So I thought I'd give you this opportunity to reflect on that aspect of you know, that one portfolio that has made a significant difference. If you think of how, you know, the restrictions, lockdown and, and inability to have face-to-face consultations, but also how it changes us moving forward and coping with backlog, et cetera. What are your reflections around that aspect of the digital strategy? Yeah, thanks, Greg. So I, I think in terms of the initial response to the pandemic, our ability to roll out near me, which was uh, you know, an already established platform you're quite right, not being used hugely. So I think um, March 2020, beginning of March 2020, we were running at about 300 consultations a week. Comparative figures this year are around 22,000 consultations a week. So exponential growth in that. And that's been, I think that's been, it's been really interesting reflecting on how that happened because it was tried and tested technology. And I, I will never... Um, say that we, you know, we could, obviously we will always need face-to-face consultations as well, but I think we genuinely need to think about the, um, the benefits to, to, to patients, to clinicians from being able to do consultations remotely and, and just simple benefits like the number of um, traveling miles saved. I saw some, I can't actually remember the statistic, but there's some amazing numbers in terms of how much um, travel and therefore carbon footprint and time for people traveling has been, been saved by the remote consultations. I think that the, the, the NHS and local authorities also did a tremendous job in, in rolling out technology such as Microsoft Teams that enabled people to, to keep on working together. Scottish government sometimes a bit notorious for being um, behind the curve on technology. Uh, and one of the things that um, I, I am very pleased that I managed to do was to piggyback on the NHS Microsoft Teams tenancy and therefore get Teams licenses for, for, for people within the DG Health and Social Care without which I am not sure how we would have continued to be able to work with, collaborate with folk across health and and local authorities. But actually it goes beyond that as well in terms of digital infrastructure, because as we've moved through the pandemic, all that stuff is great and will stay with us and we will continue to build on it. But we have also built a whole test and protect system. So we built a contact management system. We built a testing system, which allows people to be notified of their test results by text, by mobile phone, by email. And when you sort of stand back from that and think, okay, so what are the benefits for that in the future? Well, why should people not get other results notified to them directly? And there's, so, that, so there's, that, that's what I mean by saying we've got a real legacy to build on there. And the other thing I suppose that's very close to my heart is the vaccination infrastructure. And again, I suppose coming into a role, um, a leadership role for vaccinations for Scottish government, I thought, well, Blimey, we vaccinate people every year, so we must have infrastructure. Well, actually, you'd be surprised, or yeah. maybe not, that there was very little, and it's, it's it's sort of been the poor relative. So, very little in terms of, of digital infrastructure to support vaccination. We've now got a vaccination management tool that enables data about vaccination to be recorded at point of vaccination. So, we 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 get data every two hours in terms of how how many people have been vaccinated. And that's been critical to being able to provide reassurance to ministers and indeed to the public about how the programme's going. 
And we're now, I think we've got seven of our NHS boards now live on the on the national scheduling system. And again, when you start to think about that, you think, okay, so great. Now we have got an infrastructure that will support not just COVID-19 vaccinations, but all our immunisation programmes. And we've got a scheduling system. So over time, how can we develop that to make it easier for um, people to, to, to schedule their own appointments, not just for vaccination? So, yeah huge amount and there's the lots of things that I've missed out there there's the recreate enabling people to um, engage with um, members of their family at a point where they couldn't go in and visit um, so, so yeah huge huge innovation and I, I suppose characterized by people coming together and yeah. working really really hard together without thinking about organizational boundaries in the way that we sometimes do. Caroline, I think that's some honest reflections. And, and as you say, it doesn't cover quite, you know, the full scale of the digital uh, strategy. And, you know, a lot of sadness has come from COVID, but I'm heartened by the fact that there is a lot of innovation that's come from it as well. Some resilience built in that will stand the test of time moving forward. And, and as you say, the legacy will be uh, judged on how we can transfer some of this learning and this new systems into day-to-day uh, NHS management. Just as we come towards the end of the podcast, the primary focus of this is, is to reflect on leadership. And I have seen firsthand leadership style and you know, I, you're, you're very modest and, and very humble, so you wouldn't say this, but the one thing I learned was your ability to walk into a room, say not very much, listen to what's going on, sense check the room, devise a strategy and empower everybody else to go out and do what they've got to do for the coming good and you know if you think of the definition of leadership I'm pretty sure that's what it is so for me to you I think as an inspiration just watching your leadership style certainly a lot for me to learn and and take forward but to get your reflections on some of the challenges that you've had to overcome both you know over the last 12 months or 18 months but also throughout your leadership journey to this point. Um, thanks, Greg. That I, I really appreciate the, those comments. That's that's really kind of you. I think over the last twelve months, um, I think that maybe one of the challenges has been having to work virtually. So one of the challenges has been quite often you, know, you can only see so many people on a screen, and it's much harder to take the temperature in a room when you're looking at a screen rather than you've got people in a, in a, in a room and some people and that's perfectly legitimate don't want to turn the cameras on so you're then a little bit blind as to what's actually what's actually going, going on so I think it, it it definitely makes it more difficult it makes it more difficult and I think what's also when you're bringing together groups of people who don't didn't know each other already then you are missing those opportunities that we normally get at the start and end of big meetings to get a cup of coffee, say hello, have a bit of chit chat, just, a, just that you know, social bonding um, that goes on, that goes on when you're actually able to meet in, in person. So I think that that has been been challenging. On the other hand, I think that one of the things that has struck me is that having that single unifying purpose has created that's what's enabled us to move mountains frankly so and I, and I sometimes I describe it as in, in the face of a common enemy we've all yeah. come together in the face of, of a virus we've all we've all come together and set aside some of the some of the things that some of the barriers that sometimes get in the way whether they're about which organization does what um, or, or or actually around how important is this bit of work to me? It might be your priority, but it's not actually my priority. So it's been absolutely clear that where our priorities lie. 
And I think, and, 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 and actually there is a pace that comes around virtual meetings as well. And there are lots of drawbacks. Um, I've recently said to the directors team in the Scottish government that I am committed to trying to finish all meetings five minutes before the hour or five minutes before the <laughs> half hour because that is the only way that any of us get to stand up have a comfort break make a cup of tea or whatever because otherwise you tend to just go bang 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 but it does engender a, working like that does engender a, a pace as well so so for me leadership is all about culture uh, relationships it's about listening it's about noticing what's going on and it's then about trying to keep people um, going in the same direction. Uh, and I've described it in previous roles uh, as being a bit like conducting an orchestra. So you've got massively you know, skilled different sections of your orchestra and the conductor's job is to try and sort of keep them vaguely in time and, and, and heading in the, in the same direction. I think during this pandemic, in many ways, that direct you know that direction has been absolutely absolutely clear. So it, but it has still been about listening to people, about understanding concerns, about understanding when people are starting to feel a bit overwhelmed, because the pace and the it's just been relentless. It's been absolutely relentless, and um, so supporting each other, managing our own resilience, um, having a laugh actually just having a bit of a you know bringing a bit of humor into it and recognizing at the end of the day we're all human beings and so being able to have a joke is really important as well what a fantastic line to end it on I think people more than ever during this pandemic have seen the benefits of well-being of comforting each other and as you say of laughing and having just a light atmosphere to what is a very dire situation and that's a situation that's been hard for so many. Um, so thank you so much for all, all your reflections about um, your leadership and the huge role that you've played in the past 12 months in the pandemic. Um, I, I'm just conscious of the fact that I'm in a role that is traditionally male. Of course, things are changing. And I think it's still a bit unusual to have a woman in such a position of leadership and bearing in mind that International Women's Day has just passed. I'd be interested to hear your reflections on women in leadership roles and your personal challenges that you faced as a woman in such a prominent role. Okay, I, so, so I think that one of the things in terms of women in leadership role is, is it's really important that other women are able to see us in leadership roles. So I believe that I am the first female Chief Executive of NHS Scotland and Director General of Health and Social Care. You are. And I think it's really important for, for women in the system to see that, just as it's really important for women in the system to see you as well, because the more people can people can see those who look like them um, in the roles, that the, the more they are likely to aspire to and be, be inspired towards those roles. So I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things um, that strikes me is that I think a lot of women um, suffer from what I've heard described as imposter syndrome. I know I, know I have it myself. Um, I do where, too. Uh, we sort of think that we are not quite good enough and not quite as good as we need to be. And, uh, and actually, if you were to probably take 
uh, a man alongside us with exactly the same skills and capability, they would think, yeah, I can definitely go for that job. Whereas we're a bit sort of, oh, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for that. I'm not sure I can really, really do that. And I think that's just something that we need to be aware of. Um, it was it was interesting. We did an International Women's Day event in the DG, and a lot of women were really resonant with, with that, that sort of idea. So I think it's definitely something that we need to be aware of in ourselves and not let those little negative voices get at us um, and just be be confident, be ambitious about about what what we can what we can achieve. I think also for me, it's really important to remember all those women who've gone before us and the people who have um, trailblazed um, who have made it easier for us. Um, I don't think that it's easy yet. I don't think that it's easy. Um, I don't think that every sector um, in across you know across our a country yet embraces diversity. I think it's really important that they do because how can you possibly serve a community if you don't reflect that community? But I still think we've got a way to go um, in the UK and even more so when we look abroad and look at some of the ways in which women are still marginalised and not, not, not treated in a way that, that we would recognise as being respectful or, 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 or equal. So we can't be complacent either in relation to our own communities or, and certainly not, not more broadly. But that said, I think we've got a huge amount to, to celebrate and it was great to be able to do that on International Women's Day. Thank you so much for such an eloquent response to a lot of issues that females face in modern society and really hats off to you and the hard work you're doing and to all the girls out there that are just going out and doing it. Um, of course, I can't um, ignore the roles that our male colleagues are continuing to do and in supporting us in what we do. So to every girl out there just keep rocking it and to every boy out there that is rooting for us girls thank you so much we hear you now absolutely as, yes as we um men are fabulous allies they are um but we won't tell greg that too much no, because no, 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 his no. his head is already humongous no comment no comment <laughs> but congratulations actually i do have a comment i know I, I think caroline you are a champion of of diversity but also empowering as i said earlier others particularly women to strive to be the best version of themselves and as a man i will continue to support that where i can Excellent. Thank you so much, Carolyn. You've been absolutely phenomenal. And what a joy it has been to speak to you. Just to end the podcast, um, you did um, commend the efforts of all the frontline and healthcare staff um, earlier in the podcast. And thank you so much for that. But do you have any final words to give to the public and indeed to the NHS, members of the Scottish government, just to uplift and to empower them as we continue to trudge on? Yeah, I. I I just want to say how enormously grateful I am. Um, I think we all are, you know, across across Scottish society for the enormous efforts that, that people have made. Um, we have had a tough time over the last uh, 12, 15 months, uh, a really tough time. Uh, and I know that people working on the front line and those working behind the scenes as well have been battling not only with the pressures of their their day to day jobs, but also with all the all your homeschooling, everything that lockdown, everything that people have been dealing with in their personal lives as well, concerns about their own their own families. 
And I'm enormously grateful to everybody for, for helping us get, get through this. Um, I said earlier, we need to be really proud of everything that we've, we've done. Uh, we need to remember that, um, at the, you know, in the face of a, a, a really damaging pandemic, we have come together and we have done amazing things to keep health and care services going. And I think that offers us hope for the future. So, um, I, you know, I, I think that we all want to be um, able to start thinking about building a, a, a better, more resilient health and social care services. And I definitely want to hear the voices of as many people as possible in, in starting to provide advice to ministers um, about what that can look like for us. So um, I am immensely proud um, to be able to lead the NHS in Scotland and I'm hugely grateful to all of you. Thank you. Fantastic. What a way to end the podcast. And guys, as always, if you have any questions or comments, our email address is the same. It's comms at rcsed.ac.uk. That's C-O-M-M-S at rcsed.ac.uk. Again, a humongous thank you to Caroline. And Greg, I'm sure you have so many comments and so many things that you want to say and so many feelings that you have no not as much as you think really just thank you caroline uh, for your time your leadership and constant support over the last year not just to me but to everybody else that works with you so thank you thank you very much for having me um i've i've really i've really enjoyed our conversation and i hope that it won't be too long before we can do it in person that would be Sounds great good. Indeed. all right so right guys um until next time please stay safe follow the guidance and be kind to each other bye everybody